welcome to the Sailing Legends podcast, everybody. This is Diane Allen, your host. And today I have a very exciting interview for you. I have Danny Wiedenhoft with me and I've sailed with him a lot and I've known him for a lot of years. And he is a new father and his daughter's name is Harbor. So that just gives you a hint of how much salt water runs in the skies of Ains. And he's a great sailor and has great stories to tell. So I'm so excited he's taking time out of his day to talk to us and share us with us his experience sailing. So welcome to the show, Danny. Thanks for having me. It's exciting to do it. This will be really fun. So I always like to start out with how did you learn how to sail or when did it all start? And did you even like the sport when you first ran into it or, or how was that? Give us a, a flavor. Well, my father had a bow repair business. Um, so that's kind of, I was born into it, I guess. I don't remember the first time I was really sailing because it was such a young age. Um, my, my parents had some, some larger sailboats. So I started, I guess, kind of cruising and then got an Opti. I remember the Opti days kind of went from there, grew up in the Sarasota Youth Sailing Program um, with some, some buddies who were still sailing as well. And it just kind of went from there, started, you know, at a very young age, I'd say, I think the first time I had kind of done the Friday night series there, I was like 10 or 11 years old doing bow on a Capri 22 for Tim Miller. And then I started sailing with some other guys on some, some faster boats with Charlie Clifton. And, you know, these guys are, they're all getting up there in age and still great sailors. They taught me a lot about sailing, a lot about life at a young age some good, some bad, um, and just how to be a good human being. And just that I'm a fairly competitive person. So I think the, the competitiveness just pulled me in right away and um, just kind of went from there. Oh, that's really cool. So what's the life lesson that you remember learning from that young, early age, learning how to sail down to Sarasota on Sarasota Bay? That's where I, that was my stomping grounds where I learned how to sail. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you and your brother did as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Probably... I think from a young age, it teaches you a lot of responsibility, even though I was sailing Opti by myself, I still had a, a team commitment because you, you run a team with, I don't remember, 20 other green fleeters at the time, maybe more, maybe less. Um, but teamwork, responsibility, self-reliance, problem solving. I mean, you know, I think it's just, it, it's helped me grow into being an adult with everyday life with the things you, you learn in sailing from a young age. Right. So how was it engaging with all the adults when you were a kid? Did it seem I natural actually, or? It, it was natural. For me, it was natural because I grew up sailing and Sarasota Sailing Squadron and yacht clubs. And I actually would feel when I went to school, say middle school or high school, that not that I wasn't engaged with the schooling, but the kids my age, because I was never other than my teammates um, through sailing. But then even when I was sailing that age, I was still sailing with adults in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, um, that I'd, I almost didn't have a connection with some of those kids my age in school. Um, so it was a struggle at times, but I spent as much time as I could on the water and sailing, and it, it, it worked out. I am listening to you going, oh, I relate to that. <laughs> I was with yeah. all the adults sailing all the time. I didn't really, 
I didn't really think of it quite that way that I didn't really relate to too many of the people at school because I yeah. related to the people in my sailing world. I never realized it at the time. Right. Other than thinking maybe I'm something's different about myself. Maybe people don't like me, which, you know, my parents taught me at a young age is be yourself. And if, you know, people have an issue with you, then that's don't lose any sleep over it unless you're, you know, being a bad person, which don't do that, obviously. But um, and then as I got a little older and a little wiser, I realized it was just nothing that I was doing wrong. Once I got into high school, it, you know, I obviously flourished from a very outgoing person. But uh, I realized it was, I, when I was younger, I was just had a very weird time hanging out with these adults. And then I'd go hang out with these kids. And I'm like, wait, why are you guys acting like kids? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like That's not what we're supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Oh my gosh. So how did your, excuse me, how did your sailing career develop out of Opti's? Um, so I went after Opti's. I did a lot of laser sailing, uh, a lot of 420 sailing, but even then, you know, like I started this Friday night series at the Sarasota Sailing Squadron doing bow on 21 foot boats and bigger. And that's kind of how it evolved. You know, a lot of sailing with Charlie Clifton on his SR-21, um, to this day, you know, Rick Grass uh, and I have been sailing, we figured out for, I'll be 36 in September, and I've been sailing with Rick for about 25 years. So sailing on Mother Ocean, which I still sail that boat with him, kind of starting as, you know, younger on a big boat like that, just pull this, pull that you know, pull that sail in, the spinnaker's coming down, go pack it, and then to bow, to trimming, to tactics, and, and long distance sailing with him. That's kind of how it evolved, and then, you know, I did pretty well as a used sailor in, in many different boats, fortunately, and that, I think, really helped open up a lot of opportunity, mm -hmm. and then uh, I went to work to be a sailmaker. Um, I worked for Quantum Sail Design Group for, for six years, um, in high school, I was teaching sailing at the Sarasota Sailing Program, the, the program I grew up in. And then I went on to be a, a head instructor there. And then I ran the youth program at Bradenton Yacht Club for five and a half years. And then I, I coached in Venice after that part-time for several years. So that's kind of how it all evolved, just from starting and, and doing hard work, practice. I'm just trying to go out there and the best I can and then it just the opportunities really opened up from there oh that's great especially once know. I sorry Go I didn't ahead. mean to cut you short there but especially once I got into the sale making industry you know if you can start to make a bit of a name for yourself the opportunities really really opened up I know your your brother capitalized on that for many many years um and you did as well mm -hmm. with the, some of the people you sailed with so if you can just get in there and, and meeting the right people is half that battle it's right you know, but I was very fortunate that I, I got to grow up that way. Yes, I feel that same level of being fortunate. I look back and I'm so grateful that my parents were sailing before we were alive and I can't remember not sailing. Yeah. Always has been in my blood. So how you, you've taught kids uh -huh. and so share a little bit about the lessons you learned about being the teacher of the kids sailing? So I have to start off 
Um, you know, I've taught adults as well. Right. Especially when I worked for Quantum, I would go with these boat owners who were, were buying sails and act as the, the professional on board, I guess, for lack of better terms. Um, teaching kids how to sail mm-hmm. is a heck of a lot easier than teaching adults. <laughs> um, adults will argue with you, but when a kid wants to argue with you, they usually really only argue with logic and reasoning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I learned that, which was very, very interesting, but the, from teaching with the kids, obviously learning a whole new level of patience, um, especially when you have, say, eight to 16-year-olds, they're learning differently. Some are learning slower, some are learning faster, and they scramble in every which different direction at practice. So corralling them and, and just learning a whole different kind of patience, um, I think was kind of the biggest thing I initially took out of it when I got into to teaching the youth sailing. Right, right. So what's the biggest challenge with teaching adults? Um, adults, and I'm a victim of that as well, they get set in their ways. And some adults don't like to change their ways. So it's, it's tough for some people to learn, I think, sometimes. So that was kind of frustrating because you, here I am knowing we can do this better, but trying to teach them that and walk them through that. Not that they wouldn't try, but they just always resorted to what they knew mm-hmm. and how they went about it. And it just was very frustrating sometimes. Wow. Yep. That can do it. And sometimes they probably try to learn it and then just revert back. And it's like, okay, what do we all just do here? Yeah. So um, do you prefer ocean racing or buoy racing? You know, sailing, racing. All right? of it. The answer is yes, right? Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. The answer is yes. Uh, like 10 or 12 years ago, I met a gentleman, I, and I had done the Sarasota to Key, Clearwater to Key West, Sarasota to Key West as a kid, um, and been up and down the Eastern Seaboard, you know, helping with deliveries and stuff. But I met a gentleman, I was teaching his three daughters how to sail at the time when I was at Brainton Yacht Club, and they had all joined my race team, and he had said, hey, you know, you do a lot of racing, I do the Mexico race every year. And I was like, oh, that's cool. He's like, would you want to go? And I was like, absolutely. I had never done this race. And he had a a Hunter 49. So we weren't going on the fastest boat in the world, but it was the Glenn Henderson design. So it was a little speedier than an actual or a normal Hunter, I should say. And the first year we did it, we got third. And I really had gotten hooked, you know, on ocean racing then Mm -hmm. crossing the Gulf of Mexico. And I delivered back every year. So I've done that race like 12 times now. And I think ocean racing is, it it requires a different kind of person. Even if I've never done it single-handedly or double-handedly, I I would never do that. Doing it single-handedly, that's just, I don't, those guys are out there. (laughs) Um, But sailing with, you know, eight, 10, 12 guys, 500 miles, a thousand miles, uh, to me, it's just, that's the best right there. You can really get the boat tuned in. You really get up and going. And you're really thrown for 
whatever mother nature is going to throw at you in a race like that, you could be in zero to five, you could be in 35. Mm-hmm. Sail changes, upwind, downwind, reaching different sea states. I mean, and I really enjoy that challenge. Um, that being said, I still do a ton of buoy racing. Um, to this day, Davis Island is where the boat's based out of. But uh, yeah, to the, the, I mean, the answer is yes, all of it. But ocean racing, to me, that's what I love. Yeah. To me, yeah. there's nothing better than being at sea at night with it just clear and beautiful. Even if it's windy and rough, it doesn't matter. To me, being out to sea and sailing at night is just like heaven. Yeah, I mean, I one thing that kind of comes to my memory, it was either the first or second year that we, I had done the Mexico race. Um, we're ripping along at like 14 and a half knots. It's 49-foot boat, and we, I'm like, the boat owner's name was Chris. I said, Chris, we're, we're pushing this boat to the absolute limit here. I mean, I, we're going to want to start either getting a shoot down soon, or we're going to want to, we're going to have to be smart about this. And it's like, 3.30 in the morning and we're just ripping along at 14, 14 and a half knots like it's nothing. The boat's bound up. You can feel it, right? You know this boat is like on the edge of this total chaos. But it was like 3, 3 3.30 and there were some stars, no moon. Um, just We're in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico so there's no ambient light and just seeing the stars and ripping like that it's just like if you're not in tune with mother nature and what's going on in the world, then, you know, you learn real quick. It's, it's just a, a whole different feeling. Yeah. Totally different. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's just, to me, it's breathtaking. It's like, there's no words. Yeah. Not that I want to, you know, get into like anything political or, or religion based on this, cause that's not where we're targeting, but, um, you know, when I'm out doing that ocean race, and you're really just on the water in general, but when you're out there at 3.30 in the morning, and you're, you're seeing what the world has to offer. You know, that's like my church, mm-hmm. right? Yep. That's where, you know, I connect w- with God and and Mother Nature. And to me, that's just, that's the best place to do it. I mean, you see what, what the world has to offer. That's, that's the best there. Yeah, I tell everybody so, that's the most spiritual place in the world to be. Yeah, it can be. It's uh, just amazing. Very spiritual and, and Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, so I want to shift to to humor. Okay. And I want and I know because you have a lot of experience that there are some stories in your head that are like calamity or something that's really funny that when you think of it you kind of chuckle. And I'm wondering if you would think of one of those and share it with us. Something that brings you joy or <laughs> laughter, which I know there's a lot. <laughs> oh my gosh, we could go on <laughs> could make two or three podcasts out of that just with some of the characters that I've sailed with you know I've got memories with Charlie Clifton and Dave Connolly um the P-Trats and Key West on the Swan 48 you know <laughs> one of those years uh, we did Key West race week I had you had met me in Bradenton I rode down with you I think you had had that red mag you just gotten that red magnum and right right we had a fun little ride to Key West down 41 in the back roads and that was a fun regatta I've got some stories from Charleston Race Week um, with Brian and Cat Malone and John House that I, 
uh, Hacksaw was with us. We, um, I'll start with this one because it's just comical. <coughs> Excuse me. So Brian rents this brand new diesel excursion for us to drive from Tampa to Charleston Raceway. And we're going down the road and we decided we needed a CB radio to talk to anyone that wanted to talk to us. So we pull over at a truck stop and we buy a CB radio and they had like a little Western wear there. So we all buy cowboy hats and just super cheap cowboy boots. John House bought a lighter um, that when you opened it, it had Larry the Cable Guy's voice that said, get her done. So the whole ride to Charleston race week is this lighter. They were all smokers at the time. And every 10, 15 minutes, you just hear, get her done. So we decided to pull out this CB radio and we're like, oh shoot, we don't have anything to hook it up with. So Hacksaw pulls out his bag of goodies and has a soldering iron. So he's sitting in the back seat soldering wires together and we get this CB radio mounted in this brand new rental excursion. We talked to truckers on the way to Charleston. We we talked to people that, oh my God. And it was just, we're crying the whole way. It was hysterical. We get to Charleston and we have a good time the first night we're there. And then John House and I were rooming together. I think Brian and Kat had a joining room, but so we left the doors open. And it was like 3 a.m., 4 a.m., something super early. And all of a sudden you just hear, get her done and it's John playing with the lighter and we just lost it it woke everyone up and it was just so funny <laughs> oh that that regatta was the year we ended up third I think that year I've got another funny I've got a lot of funny stories of that regatta some I can't share um but there was we ended up third we were on the Henderson 30 and Oh, what was the boat? A mum 36? I don't know. A mum 30, I think it was. We had a pretty hairy mark around and it's blowing like 30 knots. Tons of current in Charleston Harbor. And we couldn't get our jib down when we would go downwind for some reason. So we would three sail reach downwind at, I don't know, 20, 22 knots. We come screaming in this lured mark rounding and the boat's there, and they're yelling at us, no overlap, and we were fine. They protested us. We went to uh, a jury, and we won, thankfully. In the middle of all this commotion, John House runs to the back of the boat, and he goes, hey, hey, and yelling at this other boat, and they all stop and looked at him, and he points down, and he goes, you dropped your from, and they're all, like, looking around, like, what, 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 and we drop our spinnaker and take off. We ended up having a laugh with, with these guys on the other boat afterwards. They're like, what the heck is a from? <laughs> and to this day, we still have no idea what a from is. That was, I don't even know how long ago. I wasn't even 21 yet. I just turned 18 that year, as a matter of fact. So that was 18 years ago. Wow. <laughs> it's just like, to this day, we still have no idea what a from is. It works, though. <laughs> it worked. Yeah. Yeah. But there's so many funny stories and laughs from regattas and that is just we could go on and on <laughs> well what's another one that's funny 
Um, so when I, <coughs> excuse me, so I've actually known Brian Malone. Brian remembers when I had a rat tail and I cut that off when I was six years old. So I started sailing with him years and years. He had worked for Tom Barry at the UK loft and they had a, a J24 that we were able to use. And we put this crew together, Brian drove, I trimmed, um, Kat did bow, John House of Tactics. We kind of had a, a fifth would bounce around a lot, but this the normal guy was a kid named Colin. And we went around and we raced this boat and we were doing fairly well. So Brian and Kat decided to get a lot more serious and they went and bought a much newer boat in much better conditions. And the first time we go to sail this boat at Davis Allen Yacht Club just to practice is blowing hard. And we go out and we're joking and we're like, okay, yeah, let's just go out and beat around, have some fun, <clears throat> not sink the boat. So we go out, we go upwind, we're taking it easy and we round this fake mark. We put the chute up and we take off like a banshee. I mean, J24 planing, which, you know, those things only get eight knots when they plane anyways. <laughs> but uh, we get ripping and roaring and we're hooting and hollering and then bam, death roll. And I happen, we had another, I actually wasn't trimming that day. We had a, another guy sailing with us. So I was kind of the middle guy. And I remember jumping in off the rail into the companionway and there's green water coming over my head. And all you hear is Kat going, Brian, I said, don't sink the boat on the first try. There obviously were some other choice words in there that I won't repeat. <laughs> Um, so we get everything going, you know, before we went out, we really examined the boat, make sure everything was good. Well, we forgot to tighten one of the lazarettes, which as everyone that sailed a J24 knows if those are, can, aren't glassed in or tied in, they'll open and take in water and the boat will sink. Well, we ended up getting lucky where we got the boat popped up pretty quickly and didn't take any water. And we get back to the dock and Cat was just having a field day. Yell, not yelling mad at all of us, just we got through quite an adventure there. And we almost sank the boat on the first time and we were we were close. I mean, there, there was a ton of green water over my end. There was a ton of water in the bilge, but we got it out. We went back out and and uh, hooted and hollered and Brian and Kat and I still, because I still sail with them to this day, we, we still laugh about that one. Oh my God, yes. And I got a ton of stories with those guys. You know, I've been all over the country with, with those two. You know, um, Brian and I went to the Mallory Cup semifinals with one of our other crew members in Jackson, Mississippi. And that is probably a place I would never go back to in my life. Um, the sailing was horrible. It was on a man-made reservoir with hills around it. So the, the wind would just kind of roll in patches, but the, the people, I shouldn't say all the people at the Yacht Club because there were some very, very friendly people but there was a gentleman that grabbed me because I was wearing my hat backwards and made a very few derogatory comments that were less than appreciated by all of our crew. It was um, not to really get too far off topic, but I was still fairly young at that age. And I really learned a lot about racism in the South. 
sailing there. It was very much the Bible Belt. Um, I remember driving through wherever we were, and there was uh, a burnt cross with a noose. No one obviously was in it. Um, but I looked at Brian and was like, man, this, this is a place I never want to come back to. And wow. We all kind of agreed on that. It was so while we, Brian and Chuck Coyer were sailing with us at Regatta. And while we still managed to have a good time, we actually met, um, if you remember the show, Rob and Big. Mm -hmm. gentleman Chris Boykin by name of Big Black we went to the mall because we forgot our blazers and we met Big Black he had a, a meet and greet and Brian Malone's like 6'3 6'4 and this guy towered over Brian it was amazing wow that still so we still had a good time that trip but it was uh it was a very eye-opening trip for me then too a very good life lesson on how some people still viewed racism and, and went about it and it was not okay and the guy's comment was just, he, he said, we don't wear our hats backwards around here. We don't play basketball. And uh, we just kind of disregarded and let it go. We told him if he continued to pursue us, he was probably going to neglect it. But uh, it, was, it was really eye-opening. Eye it, was, it was kind of one of the crazier stories in sailing just from what was involved and the racism aspect. It was, I was shocked, honestly, I was mm -hmm. shocked. Because you go into um, Jackson, Mississippi and they had statues of some gentlemen who, I don't remember how many years prior, many, many years prior had um, drugged some, some black people behind his car through town. They were still celebrating this. And this was, you know, close to, 20 years ago, a little less, 15, 18 years ago. And uh, I didn't understand it. I don't understand why people that way. I don't want to get off topic, you know, but it, it was, it was kind of shook coming out of it. It was like, wow, even the bartender asked where we were staying. And uh, Ryan said, oh, well, we're staying over there. It was a penny more a night. It was like a Hilton. It's an old train station. They turned into a Hilton. It was a beautiful hotel. And the, the bartender made a comment of, well, we don't, we don't go over there because of the people that live there. Purely just talking about people of color. And Brian and I kind of sat at the bar and looked at each other and were like, this is just not acceptable for anyone to say. I think we got up and left, if I remember correctly. We didn't even wait for our meals to come out. I think we went and got McDonald's and ate at the hotel. Wow. So we, yeah, that's, yeah, that's really surprising because you don't hear that kind of thing very often in the sailing world you don't and that's i think what you know i've kind of gone a whole different direction here um right. but it was just, it was just to this day you know we still talk about it and it was like wow just the the ignorance of some people and you know we could take this in a whole different podcast and you know but i guess a good lesson to learn um, there's just no place for that in sailing, let alone in the world period, but right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as far as I've seen, I, I myself have never witnessed it in, in sailing. Um, I hope I never do. Um, I'd probably get pretty upset at the person doing it, but uh, you know, um, there's just no place for it in sailing or the world in general. Right. I totally agree. 
So when you think about the sailing community and like the connection that it's kind of like, because it's one big happy family in a lot of senses. Um, yeah. And you think about all the different various personalities and people and yourself and everything. <coughs> Do you have any um, wisdom or things you might want to share with somebody who's listening that's thinking about sailing or maybe wants to start sailing or they're, you know, they're kind of new and they're just pondering what to do. Cause there's a lot of people who listen to the show that are, that are kind of looking to us for like some inspiration. And what would you say to that new person, that person who, or, that's thinking about it or just starting? There's many ways to go about it when you're starting, you know, um, the old days, I don't want to say old days cause it wasn't that long ago, you know, before the internet and, social media really blossomed and blew up. Um, sailing for dummies, people would read books. And then I would tell people, you know, read a book and then go try it because it, the fact that everyone learns differently. Um, now with YouTube and all these social media sites where people can share their stories and GoPro cameras and um, watch YouTube videos because there's so many different things about sailing you could learn and how to do it and to be open-minded and how you learn about it um, but also don't be afraid to to join a sailing club you know there might be people there that might know more about you but it's a great way to learn about sailing and how to do it and whether you want to race or cruise and then the lifelong friendships and relationships you'll gain from doing that is just I mean I can't even put that aspect into words it's that's a whole nother that could be a whole nother podcast mm -hmm. I just go on and on and on um but be patient when you're learning too you know some people go oh, I know how to sail and I've been out with them and I'm like no, you, yeah, you kind of know, but you don't mm -hmm. starting off. Right. So, so be patient when you're learning because you're going to learn slow, fast. Some people when they're learning only go out when it's blowing five knots. I wouldn't encourage a new sailor to, to go out with their own boat the first time or fifth time if it's blowing 30 knots, but uh, to just be patient and, you want to learn and grow and read books about it, whether it's a tutorial or someone sailing around the world cruising or watch a video of people racing. It's just it's what I would tell someone. Ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions either. A, a real sailor, whether they're a cruiser or a racer, is not going to think any question's dumb. They might giggle at you because I think that's sailors in general. But uh, they'll get you going in the right direction and answer any question you have or fine tune you. I mean, that's I think what the sailing community is. Yeah, I th my experience is that people asking questions that, that anyone on the dock or on the boats is happy to help and answer questions and inspire or show people what to do that I rarely hear, I don't know that I ever, ever heard actually a sailor say, no, I'm not helping you or no, I'm not answering that. Now it, it has to do with timing. You don't ask important questions when we're rounding marks and things like that, of course. But, you know, when you're yeah. learning or you're in a situation where you can absorb it, I would say absorb it, no matter how long you've been sailing, really. Yeah, be a sponge. Yeah, be willing to be a sponge. I think you're exactly right. Um, 
I love to learn in general as well. So being a sponge, I think has really helped me um, grow in the sport and be successful. And even now um, going out, you have to be able to learn because it's, I sailed with Steve Liebel. This is a perfect example. I've transitioned into on the, the B32 race, I'm gonna be in the main trimmer. I'm not naturally a main trimmer. I'm, I started off, you know, like I said, doing bow and I've trimmed jib and spinnaker. I can get in the middle of the boat and do some tactics. Well, it's not my strongest point. Um, I can do pit on complicated boats, but they needed a main trimmer and I knew enough, obviously enough to, to get going and be competitive. But kind of back to where I was going with this, uh, Steve Liebel sailed with me on the B-32 about a month or so ago. And it was a pretty windy day. Um, we needed to do well in this regard. Most of our normal crew was gone uh, doing something. So I was the only one on the boat that regularly sailed. And so Steve Lieber brought a crew and he taught me so much about trimming Maine that day that uh, it was like, wow. Wow, it was like a huge step forward. And what I had learned and my ability to be a better main trimmer. But I think part of that came from being open-minded to how someone else does it. And he's obviously a great tailor. He's done a lot right. of big things. Um, being able to learn from someone like that is a great opportunity. But to be a sponge is what I think new sailors need to do too. And even old sailors and anyone that's sailing or racing, it's yeah yeah it's always there's there's always something to learn from somebody it is because every race um is different every day on the water you're racing is different even cruising it's different i've always liked to when people who don't sail they're like well why do you do it i'm like well because i thought picking the slowest mode of transportation on earth would be fun to race uh, but i say it's always it's like chess, but it's real life chess that's constantly moving. Mm -hmm. The competitors are constantly changing. Conditions are constantly changing. It's like a real live human chess game. It's constantly evolving. And to me, I'm not a chess player. I have no idea how to play chess. Um, but to <laughs> me, that's what I relate it to. Um, and it's very intriguing. It's very right. Intriguing. Well, yeah, I totally get that. In fact, I, I said it at an, another interview on the same show. That, it was, that to me, sailing is like a moving chess match because yeah. there's all these different maneuvers. There's all these different things you can do. There's always options and choices and you mm -hmm. got to deal with the competitor and the conditions and so many things that there's no two days that are the same and there's no two hours that are the same, really. No. And, and so it really takes a melding of our, you know, of our connection, of our mental ability and our physical ability and our emotions and our spiritual self. Like it takes the whole person to actually excel. Yes, absolutely. That's that's a great statement there. Yeah, I mean, I re when I think about that, I'm like, and I think that's like part of the team. And then my next part I want to ask you about is because you've sailed on boats that are single-handed boats, mm -hmm. and you're also really good at being on a team. And sailing is a team sport. And I remember when I was getting out of high school, I think, or somewhere way back then, and um, I was at a job interview, and and the guy asked me if. I ever participated in a team sport. And I said, yes, I raced sailboats. We had a PT. He probably party. laughed at you. He did. He laughed at me and he goes, no, I mean a team sport. I said, well, yeah, I know. I, I hear you, you know? And, and so 
Um, I remember walking out of there confused because to me it was a team sport. So when you look at it, it can be an individual sport or a team sport. Oh, and, yeah. And, and then there's also the individual racing where you're on a bigger team like you were talking about. So there's so many different levels and different facets. What are some of the lessons you've learned about team being on a team that you still carry with you? Well, when you're sailboat racing as a team, you bold, it's got to be a finely tuned team mm-hmm. if you want to be successful at it and, and win. And I keep saying win, you know, a lie here, but, but at the end of the day, we have to still remember to have fun. Yes. You have to be able to have fun as a team. Um, but being finely tuned, being able to put in the work together and practice on non-race days. But I think one of the things about that team aspect too, it's taught me is the different personalities. You've got the A types, the B types, you've got the quiet laid back people, you've got loud people, you've got leaders, you've got quiet leaders. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Fine-tuning that and pulling in all those personalities can be very difficult sometimes, too, in a team aspect. So being able to do that, getting that all on the same page and then getting them all on the same page sailing-wise and how we're going to go about things and, you know, to say this isn't a democracy. Um, Sailboat is not a democracy. You know, you've got a skipper. You've got a guy calling the shots, and that's how it is. You know, when you get too too many leaders on a boat, it it fails. I've witnessed that. We have fought that a little bit on some of the boats that we race on. Um, We've all been very successful. Um, We could all be leaders on the boat, but sometimes we all get too involved and not letting the leader make the decisions on their own. And, you know, right. Recognizing your role um, because everyone has a very vital role to play between from the front end of the boat to the back of the boat, bow person, to driver, to the trimmers in between. Some people are just hiking on some boats, but that's a valuable position too. Um, to pull in the sails in and out, up and down. That's all vital when you're on a team like that. So and trusting each other and that each person is gonna do their job and do it to the best of their ability is very huge in the team aspect and it's much different from sailing single-handedly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, with the team, you not only have to trust the team, but you have to trust yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, you're still trying to, that self-responsibility to do you the best you can in that role because people are relying on you to do that, but you're also relying on them. So it's, mm-hmm. you're not alone by yourself. You're in a team, but you're still, I don't know how I want to word that, but you're, you're obviously not alone, but you're still doing your own thing, but within a boat on a team and you need to do it the best of your ability. Right. Absolutely. So looking forward into the future, what do you see for your sailing life moving forward? Um, wow. So that's, that's actually really good. I've got a lot going on. Um, I've recently gone back, gotten back into the Marine industry. Um, I left it, for just over 10 years, um, 
part of that was uh, my father's death. Uh, when he died, I didn't enjoy sailing. He died at a very young age. He was 44 in 2010. Um, and I, I felt that I lost a lot of connection to sailing and, and the water and racing. And I didn't sail for two, I don't know, three years. Didn't race for, I don't know, I guess that same, same time distance. Um, so I went into the IT recruiting space. I quit coaching sailing. I was a level three certified coach. I ran programs. I let all those expire. Um, and went a total different direction, something I thought I'd never do and started IT recruiting for someone and started as what they call the sorcerer and, and got pretty good and worked my way up, um, as a recruiter and then kind of as a VP of operations, helping him in the business. And that's all, that all kind of got crushed, uh, because of COVID that, that industry is still hurting pretty big. Um, so kind of what got me going back into the marine industry was Samantha, she got me tickets for my birthday to go see, um, who did we go see? Morgan Wallen, Dan and Shay in Florida Georgia Line. And I said, okay, that's cool. Don't get me anything else. And uh, she says, okay, so we weren't living together. We had been together for quite some time. We weren't living together at the time. So I picked her up at her place on the way to the concert and she has this little bag. And uh, I said, I was upset. Cause I said, don't, I told you not to give me anything. Why'd you do this? She had gotten really good seats for the concert and had, had paid a fair amount. So I didn't really want anything else. She goes, well, just look. So I dive into this bag and um, she was like nothing in there. and. I pull out a bunch of tissue paper and I don't feel anything. I reach in again, I grab this tissue paper and I yank it out and what comes flying out and over and over and for 10 minutes was a pregnancy test. Oh. And she goes, happy birthday, you're gonna be a dad. It wasn't right on my birthday that she told me it was um, right after. It was when we went to see this concert a couple weeks after. So it was like, hey, we're celebrating your birthday, you're gonna be a dad. So now to get kind of how I got back in the marine industry is uh, I said, well, I'd like to start making extra cash to put aside for formula, diapers, baby clothes, needs, college. So I went to my local West Marine and applied and said, hey, I can, can work part-time. This is mm -hmm. um, my history. I grew up on the water. Manager looked at me, he's like, you, you seem too good to be true, guys. <laughs> Don't just right. come in with like this kind of boating experience and want to work at West Marine. I'm like, oh yeah, well, okay. If you want to hire me, great. If not, you know, I understand. So he started me part time. I'm very thankful uh, for my general manager Scott that he hired me then, because um, COVID crushed what I was doing. And he eventually was able to flip me to full time, and he's got me into management. And that's kind of how I got back into the marine industry. Great. Um, I actually sit on June 5th for my hundred-ton master captain's license with uh, the sailing endorsement and the towing endorsement as well. And I thought about a hundred ton, you know, that's 200,000 pounds. That, that's a good sized boat. I don't need to do anything else. And I've met many clients as I've been working at West Marine 
you have some very good opportunities for me. And I said, well, this is, I'm, I'm going to go for my 200 ton license after that. And I really am not going to need anything more. I said that for my 100 ton. Um, but I'll probably stop at the 200 unless it, it really, really opens up more opportunities. So that's kind of how I've transitioned back into the marine industry. I'm sailing a lot more over the last three years. I've really started to really, really get back into it for the last year and a half. Um, you know, there was some times we were racing every weekend again, but sometimes I had missed those days and then I'm, I'm doing it for two and a half months straight going, when can I just have a weekend off? <laughs> all right. Um, and we all feel about that. Brian and Cat are the same way. They now have a little girl that's, um, Wayne's five or six. Now. She just turned six. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's cool to still be sailing with them. You know, there are two people I got so much respect for, so much love for. And now that we've all transitioned into adults and parenthood and doing that together. So sailing and regattas is a total different. You know, when we were a lot younger, we did so much partying with it. And now it's like, okay, the kids are going to be here, you know, and that's just, that's way cooler than what we did before. Um, but then sailing in the future, you know, is obviously sail with them. Brian runs the Merlin program. I've been able to sail on Merlin, you know, the legendary yacht on the, held the Transpac record for 22 years, I think it was. Um, Bo just got to California for the Transpac. And then I'll be coming back east. And I've talked to Brian about doing some stuff. Um, so that'll transition to more ocean racing. You know, hopefully if it all works out on board Merlin, um, and that's actually how I, I met the owner of Merlin because he owns the B32 that, that we race on and Brian oversees that program for, for Chip and such a, that's another guy I'd talk about for a couple hours, such a great individual too, such a very, very nice man. Um, so I've got a lot of sailing in the future. Um, I've, I've made the decision to go back into the marine industry and I'm actually really excited about it with, with what I'm doing with this testing and licenses and I'm excited to be back in the marine industry again whereas before it you know like I said after I lost my father it, I had no ambition to be on a boat at all and wanted didn't care um, so I'm really excited to kind of what's coming up in the next couple of years as far as not just work-wise but sailing wise and deliveries I mean I've ton of options already that could have got lined up so I'm super thankful for it well that's great that's and so great. everything's coming back around yeah you know the, I knew eventually I'd get back on the water um it's just it's my passion it's what I love mm -hmm. you know my 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 mom wasn't as much of a sailor my dad obviously was um but she would do some weekend cruises here and there but you know what my my dad instilled in me with, with sailing. He didn't push the racing aspect. He encouraged me to, but he, I think my dad was, no, I shouldn't just say my dad, but both my parents were very supportive in how I went about sailing, whether it was cruising or racing and do it however I wanted. So that just the passion that they instilled in me is, is what led to all of this. So the fact that I have that back again is, is awesome. And it's something I hope my daughter that's all I, I, 
I just want my kid to be happy, right? And do whatever she wants. But if, if she takes up, I do a lot of offshore fishing now too, but if she takes up fishing and even if she just likes to sail around the bay during the day, all right, that's cool with me. We'll do that all day long. Right, yeah. And so when she's older, she will be able to say that she can't remember not being on the water. Yeah, you know, we, we haven't had her on a boat yet. Um, part of that was kind of having a baby in the middle of a pandemic has contributed to that part of it. We originally were going to wait till she was like three months. And then I said, well, why don't we wait till she's a little older? We had a life jacket for her and she wasn't happy in it. And I said, I'm not taking my child that young, not in a life jacket. I don't care who you are. Mm-hmm. It's not smart. You just never know what can happen where you are. So now that she's one, um, we were watching the America's Cup and it was on a couple months back, glued to the TV, glued. <laughs> I put sailing on. I recorded them and would keep them on. She'd be upset. I put sailing on. The world was was happy. Um, I watch a lot of fishing as well. She loves it's water and fish. She's glued to. She's in swimming lessons and loves the water, loves the beach. So I'm, I'm starting to see a trend, and I'm I'm really excited <laughs> about it. Right? It could all change, but it's like, man, we 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 could. You just you just hope. You hope. Right. Right. Um, and actually a really cool experience just yesterday. Uh, I won't name the person by name, um, but one of my clients at work, on one of our pro accounts, he's a sailor and I've known him for about a year. And we always talk sailing and he has his boat at St. Pete Yacht, but he's more of like the cruising type. And uh, he asked me yesterday and he was in the store, he goes, uh, so what kind of sailing would you get your daughter into first? I said, well, maybe in the Sarasota U sailing program, I think that'd be really cool for her to at least do some lessons there. Uh, just because I did it, I think that's a little sentimental. I said, I'd, I'd get her into an opti and I'd, I'd probably do a lot of coaching myself um, at first to get her started. And he goes, okay, cool. He goes, that's awesome. You know, I did that with, with my kids. And he goes, we're, we're really early here. You know, your daughter just turned one. He goes, but you said you get her started in an opti? And I said, yeah, yeah. He goes, all right, cool. I have one for you. And I went, huh? What? He goes, wow. I got three of them. Just I'll bring one to you. I'm like, no, no, I mean, you can't do that. He's like, no, seriously, let's send down my house. I've got three of them. He goes, nice. race, race ready to go. And I'm here. I am standing at work, like ready to start crying. It's like mm. the joy I got out of that to know you know, my little girl, she just turned one, you know, we're way, way premature for this. Um, he said a couple of things here and there, you know, minor work, no big deal. That's what opties do. They're little tubs, they survive. But I was just, the joy that I went through, the jubilation. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I literally, I looked at him and I said, man, I think I'm going to start crying. I might hug you. And he just laughed and he just, he thought that was awesome. But, and he goes just to, obviously to see he sees how I engage and talk about sailing and my daughter and wanting her to do it because this is the best way to do it. He goes, I have no need for them. He said, they're in garages. They're in great shape. They're race ready. He's going on a trip and then uh, he'll be back in a week and a half. And said, I'll even hand deliver it to you. Wow. Um, so, and that's, that's a testimony to the sailing community in general right there. Yes. And that's where I was going with that. This guy, I've only known him through doing business for a year maybe even a little less. We have no personal relationship. Uh, our connection is sailing. Mm-hmm. 
you know, um, he runs a successful marine business or helps, I should say. Um, but he loves sailing and he's got some pretty cool stories we've talked about and that's our only connection. But that is the, that's sailing. That is, yep. that's just sailing. Yep, that's, per, that's a beautiful story. I love it, I love it. Yeah, I, I wasn't gonna tell Samantha until I got the boat, I was gonna come home with it when he brought it in a couple of weeks. And uh, she called me at work the other day and she'll never call me at work unless something's wrong. So my phone's ringing. I'm like, oh no, what's going on? She's like, I've got really good news. And she had just found out she got a new job. She's a first grade teacher and she's switching to a different school to teach third grade. So I'm like, okay, is it something with the school? She's going for her master's to be a counselor for kids. I thought it was something with that. She goes, oh, school told me that uh, Harvard took, I think, four or five steps today. So we're, we're really close to walking. And I was like, well, I wasn't going to tell you, but we, she's just having a big day. She just got her first sailboat. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it was it. first sailboat. And one of the things I immediately thought of too, um, Samantha's mom saved some outfits from when Samantha was a baby. And we've been able to put harder in those. And to me, that is, is kind of off topic for sailing. Um, but I thought that was just so cool. And some of them have, that they're not boaters. They're from North Jersey in the mountains, 45 minutes outside of New York City. When I met Samantha at the, at the dog park, I said, you want to go to the yacht club and go sailing? She's like, what's that? And she loves it. Um, so the fact that her mom actually had some nautical themed clothing with little sailboats and then on Harbor, it was to me was the coolest thing. It was very sentimental to see it come from Samantha. So one of the original thoughts I had getting this boat was, yeah, it's an Opti, it's not huge. We could potentially, you know, save this in a garage for her kids mm -hmm. to sail down the road if, you know, that's something they chose to do. And I guess becoming a father has made me really soft. <laughs> but that I just thought, to me, stuff like that is just super, super cool, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. It's very cool. I love it. I love it. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show. Is there anything that you wanted to share that we didn't talk about? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, we could create all another podcast, Diane. I mean, the stories I've sailed with you, you know, on the Swan 48 with the Petrats and Key West. And, well, maybe we should here. do that. Maybe we yeah. should do another show of just our sailing adventures because you and I have had a lot of them together. We could talk about our sailing adventures. We could talk about um, some of the people we've sailed with, um, what we've learned, the friendships and relationships. I could go on about that for an hour. I mean, I've right. got people, Brian and Kat, for instance, I'll know them the rest of my life. You know, people, the Charlie Cliftons, I'm very close with Rick Grass. I, to this day, I think Rick's pushing 60 now. I'm almost 36. I still call him Uncle Rick. He's like an uncle to me. They're, these people are family. And the relationships you can make, we could go on and we could do a whole other podcast about that. So yeah, if you want to we'll do another do. one. All right. So there you all hear it. Yeah. You hear it. Danny committing to doing at least one, if not two more podcasts of very important things because both of us have very similar trajectories, having sailed in the same area, doing the same kind of things our whole lives. 
And yeah. there's so much depth and richness there. So I want to thank you for being on the show and sharing all these stories. I, I'm sitting here listening to you with goosebumps because it's just so beautiful. So really, thank you for all the time. Yeah, thanks for asking me. It was I was excited and when you asked me and I get excited talking about sailing. Like, you know, we're here on, on video as well and you've been able to see my reactions and the people won't. Um, but I'm smiling majority of the time. I'm like, you know, it's just, when you have a love and a passion for something like that, I mean, how could you not want to share and talk about it and encourage people to do it and, and be thankful for the people that brought me up along the way and taught me so much about not just sailing, but life and right, right. how to be a good person. Oh man, it's just, you gotta, yeah, you gotta share those, those stories and situations yeah. and instances. Totally true. That's the whole point of this podcast is to yeah. tell the let Thank tell you the very legends. much for asking and, and having me. I'm super oh, excited. My pleasure. Well, everybody, you've been listening to Danny talk about his sailing adventures and he committed to one or two more shows. So you'll be hearing more from him because there's so much richness in this young man. So I want to thank you again for being on the show. And remember everybody, sailing is a lifestyle and it's something beautiful and amazing. So if you're new yeah. and you want to check it out, go find some of us and check it out. Don't sit on a dream and not act on it. And if you're one of the many seasoned people who listen to this podcast, thanks for being part of the rich and amazing community and sport that we call sailing. And so remember until the next episode of Sailing Legends to have fair winds in following seas. See you soon. <laughs>